0: So, I want to just tee up uh, our guest preacher today, his name is Dave DeVries, and he is one of my mentors and church planting coaches, and so for the last couple years he's been working with me and and giving me guidance and advising me, and some of you are like, that is such good news to know that you have somebody smarter than you and older than you and wiser than you, it's true, and he's going to be up here, it's kind of like a proof that he exists and Dave has been so instrumental to me, and, and the thing he's talking about today is something he's passionate about. He's something of an expert. He's written books on it, and it's really important to me as well. And that's why I asked him to come, because I didn't want to mess this up. It's so important. It's actually the reason why I got into pastoring and church planting. When I went back to seminary, I left my job in accounting after my sister Kim died, um, I knew God was asking me to ask others to consider Jesus and his gospel, but uh, I always thought that I'd do that outside of the church. I always thought that I'd do that through um, a concert ministry that we had started, that I'd go from town to town asking people to do this. But in seminary, what I realized I, I realized is that the bottleneck when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ going out into cities like Seattle and, and everywhere in our country and around the world Uh, tends not to be access to the information of the gospel, though that's very important. But the problem is, is that there are not enough disciples of Jesus who know how to make other disciples, which is really a maturity issue. There are not enough disciples who know how to come alongside someone else and walk with them as they encounter Jesus and learn what it means to follow him. And so the bottleneck is we don't have enough Christians who are growing in their maturity, in, their, in, the, in the image of Christ. We, we just don't have that. And that's why I said, I think the bottleneck is we need more churches who are intentional about making disciples who know how to make disciples. Something that I've continued to learn from Dave and something that pushed me into pastoral ministry. Never thought I'd be a pastor, but I knew I wanted to help people do that. So I'm so excited. I just wanted to say that so that you know, I'm so excited about what Dave has to talk. So if you are distracted, if, if, if you're somewhere else, just pray that God would bring you back into this moment that you might hear what he has to say, because it's the most important thing for the mission of God in this world. That we as Christians don't push uh, all the responsibility onto a few traveling evangelists or few pastors who do all the work for us. It's our job, each and every one of us, to learn how to grow in our faith that we might become disciples who know how to make other disciples and lead other people into life with Christ. So, I've teed you up, Dave. So you better bring it, man. Would you speak? I am listening. I can do this all
1: Dave it's great to be with you Um, I want to just start out by introducing you to my wife and kids Um, so I'm gonna throw a picture I think up there of my wife and kids in just a minute but um, I've got two uh, two wonderful kids Um, my son is Doug there you go he's uh, 26 and he lives in Houston and he uh, is a professional musician Uh, Just graduated with his master's degree from Rice University and the Shepherd School of Music there. He's a flutist, so he's trying to land a job right now in an orchestra somewhere in the world. He'd love to play in a symphony and in one of the, uh, yeah, here in the U.S. or Europe somewhere. And then my daughter, uh, Madeline, uh, she's 24, and she is a professional ballerina. And uh, she trained here in Seattle uh, with uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet, and then um, she got a job dancing in San Francisco, so she dances with the Alonzo King Lines Ballet, and travels all over the world, and uh, I am not a dancer or a musician, just in case you were curious, just want to make that really clear. Um, But uh, I I, uh, married a very creative and gifted wife, my wife Deanne, who's with me uh, tonight. And uh, we're getting ready to celebrate 29 years of marriage this summer. So pretty uh, excited about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, we serve as missionaries. Uh, God called us to the third largest mission field in the world, the United States. And uh, I lead a team called Missional Challenge. And we're focused on advancing disciple-making movements globally. So I work with church planters here in the U.S. and then throughout Europe and, uh, and Africa as well. And I brought a couple of prayer cards along. If anybody would be interested in praying for us or knowing a little bit more about what we do, those are available in the back. So uh, really just great to be with you uh, tonight. And it's funny because I've been to this location before, but I've never been upstairs. I've been to the coffee shop downstairs uh, for lots of meetings over the last several years, so it's fun to, to be here and uh, to worship with you tonight. So let's just uh, start our time together uh, by thanking God and uh, inviting him to really teach us tonight. Can we do that? So Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to look to your word and to learn from you, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that your spirit would help us to understand the importance of maturing in our spiritual lives. Lord, that you would really speak to each person here, wherever they are, Lord, in that spiritual journey. And Lord, that you would show us, Lord, what are the next steps that you want us to take as we follow you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, have you ever heard the words, you're so immature? Can you think of the, the first time maybe that you heard that? I, you know, I was reflecting on, on, on this concept of, of maturity, and uh, maybe, maybe you heard that you know, when you were in junior high. I think that's kind of the time frame of our lives where you know, people start to demonstrate quite a bit of immaturity. Uh, at least that's when it showed up for me. And uh, I, I know the best response to, you're so immature. Do you, do you know the response that you're supposed to say to that? Yeah, you're supposed to say, I know you are, but what am I? Right? Isn't that the mature response to that type of a statement? And uh, how about this one? Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, act your age and not your shoe size? Have you heard that one? You know, no? no I, okay, maybe you need to work on that. Um, no, just kidding. Um, But here's the deal, we live in a culture that has certain expectations for us in regard to maturity. And as our bodies grow and develop, there's this expectation that the way we think, the things we say, and what we do will match that growth and development in our our physical sense. And so when you see someone who is acting in a way that's not consistent um, with their age, then we identify them as immature, right? And, and the reality is, you know, you don't expect a 5-year-old to act like a 12-year-old, right? That would, that would be a little ridiculous, right? We don't um, expect a 12-year-old to act like a 30-year-old, right? That would, that would be odd. In fact, they did a whole movie about that called Big, did you ever see that one where, you know, Tom Hanks is trying to act? Uh, he's in this little, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's in, anyway, if you didn't see the movie, you can see it. Um, the reality is, though, if you see a 30-year-old that's acting like a 12-year-old, there's something wrong with that also, right? There's this, there's this expectation that, that we're supposed to be maturing. And we're in a series of messages on family dynamics, and I want to talk to you about the dynamics of maturing within the family of God. And in a similar way that we've got parents in our lives and grandparents and uh, brothers or sisters or cousins or aunts and uncles that all kind of help us in our physical development to grow to be more mature, the reality is that God has placed Christians in a family environment where we've got spiritual parents and brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles who can help us in that process of growing spiritually. And there's this process of spiritual development that that begins from the moment a person believes in Jesus. And the reality is we don't expect a new believer To know everything there is to know about being a Christian. That would would be weird to expect instant maturity. There's a growth process that requires helping new followers of Jesus to know and understand how to follow Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you're new in the faith and you've just started following Jesus, I've got good news for you. Here's the reality. No one expects you to think and act like you've been following Jesus for the last 20 years, right? That would be odd for a new believer to act like they've been following Jesus for a long, long time. At the same time, um, there are people who are here tonight who have been following Jesus for a long time. And they want to help you if you're new in the faith. They want to help you to discover how you can trust and obey Jesus. Now, there might be some others of you here tonight that you've been a Christian for several years, many years. Maybe you uh, first believed in Jesus when you were in elementary school. And yet the reality is, for some of you, it's possible that you could be a Christian for the past decade or two decades and have not grown spiritually, that you're, you're still a spiritual infant. And I want to take some time tonight to challenge you to begin to take steps to intentionally start maturing in your faith. And I want to do this by opening in our Bibles tonight uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. And last week I believe you looked at the first seven verses of chapter 4 and focused on the dynamic of unity in the family of God. And tonight we're going to continue with Paul's instruction and we're going to look beginning at verse 11 at these dynamics of maturity within the body of Christ. Beginning at verse 11 he says, And he gave... There's two things I want us to really focus on in this passage, and there's a whole lot packed into it, and unfortunately, I don't have enough time to unpack all of it, but I, I wanna hit on two key thoughts here out of this passage, and the first one is that God gives spiritual leaders to the church to help believers grow up as Christ followers. Okay? There's this expectation that The leaders in the church will help you, will equip you, will train you so that you can grow up as Christ followers. That's their job. In fact, the pastors really aren't the ministers. You know, sometimes we use that language to refer to a pastor. He's a minister. The reality is, according to this passage, is that every believer is a minister of Jesus Christ. And a pastor's job isn't to do all the ministry, okay? So we shouldn't see Dave running around, you know, like a chicken with his head chopped off, trying to do everything, right? His job, if he's doing it well, is to equip the saints to do the ministry and to grow up in Christ, okay? So that, it says, we all attain To the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Why is that? So that we all mature to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. So that we are all, uh, so that we're all no longer spiritual children, but we're actually growing up to be spiritual adults. So that we're not tossed to and fro, it says, by the latest popular ideas of theology but that we are grounded in spiritual truth so that we're not deceived by false teachers. So that we grow up, verse 15 says, we grow up in every way into him. And then in verse 16 it says, this makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's this expectation that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, we don't just stay where we are but that we grow up, that we mature as followers of Jesus. So God gave spiritual leaders to the church to help this. The second thing that that we see is that every believer contributes to the spiritual maturing of other believers. And this is important for us to understand. It's not just the pastor's job to help people to mature. We all contribute to each other's growth. So, here's the reality. Spiritual growth happens best in community. It happens when our lives are being shaped and influenced and sharpened by the lives of those around us. And as we grow up in Christ, according to Paul, we need what every member supplies. In fact, if you just look around at the people around you, God has placed you in relationship with other Christians to help you to grow up in Christ so that you don't stay a spiritual infant. And verse 16 says, The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The reality is we need each other. We can't become spiritually mature on our own. It can't happen in isolation. You can't mature spiritually without a spiritual family. We need to belong to one another. You need spiritual parents and brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles to help you grow. And the reality is they need you to help them to grow. And it's only when Paul says each part is working properly and contributing fully to the family, that the body actually grows. So I'd like to suggest to you that it's not enough just to come on Sunday evening and to enjoy some good worship and some great teaching and to think that's all that you need to grow because that's not how God designed the Christian life. He didn't design for us to grow just by getting a a dose of spirituality once a week. In fact, I believe that one of the main reasons that there are so many immature baby Christians in churches all over our country is that churches are spoon-feeding believers rather than training believers to feed themselves spiritually. And a few years ago... I started calling this problem infantilism, okay? You probably never have heard this before because I made up my own definition for what this is, so I'm going I'm to share it with you, okay? And here's what it is. Infantilism is the inability of a Christian to spiritually feed oneself, resulting in an unhealthy dependence on supplemental nourishment from pre-digested food. And that might be a sermon, might be a podcast, might be a study guide, a book, okay, commentary. But instead of becoming self-feeders, what happens is a lot of Christians prefer to be spoon-fed. To be dependent on Bible teachers to feed them. Now, when you're a spiritual infant, that's great right? You, you need someone to help feed you when you're new in following Jesus, but you don't want to stay an infant, right? How many of you enjoy baby food? Yeah? When's the last time you went to the grocery store? Down, thank you, Dave. Went down that aisle, you know, to pick up baby food to make that your meal. I mean, there's just something wrong with that, right? We don't eat baby food anymore if you're not a baby. And so I want to challenge you that you don't want to stay dependent on pastors and commentaries to study the Bible for you and tell you what it means, that you need to learn to feed yourself spiritually. My friend Pastor Willie O'Burke, he's a church planner in Greeley uh, in Colorado. And he refers to these believers who come to church on Sunday and want to sit in their chair or sit in their pew and be fed these gourmet spiritual meals every week, he calls them pew leeches. I kind of like that terminology. Pew leeches. Because he says they're just taking up space. They're not making any contribution to the body. They just come and say, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And they feel that, wow, if they aren't getting enough pre-digested spiritual food to eat then maybe they just need to go to another church where they can get fed even more. And the reality is, pew leeches will never become spiritually mature. They won't become healthy Christians because they refuse to learn to study God's Word for themselves. And many churches today are failing to teach believers how to feed themselves. Instead, they're teaching them to grow fat on a diet of pre-digested spiritual sermons that leave them spiritually immature and dependent. So how, how many of you have not had dinner yet tonight? Anybody? Okay, that's me. I haven't eaten yet. I'm looking forward to it, okay? So I'm gonna go out to dinner tonight. Just pretend with me, okay, for a minute. And I'm gonna go out and... Uh, I'm going to go out to Outback Steakhouse, okay, and at Outback Steakhouse, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm going to go out to Claim Jumper, because I just remembered they have a better porterhouse steak at Claim Jumper, okay, so I'm going to go to Claim Jumper, and I'm going to order a a nice porterhouse steak, okay, and I'm sitting there with my wife, and I'm all excited about my porterhouse steak, and, and you just so happened that you ended up at Claim Jumper, too, Okay, And you and your friends are there and you look over and you see Deanne and I and you watch them bring me this porterhouse steak. And you can see how excited I am to eat this steak. And then as, as you're watching, and I don't know you're watching, but you're watching, and, and uh, you notice that Deanne reaches over with her knife and she starts cutting my steak into smaller bite-sized pieces for me. Now, what are you thinking at this point? Ew? Like, what's that about? It's kind of weird, right? Okay, or it's really romantic. No. Okay, so then, okay, after she's got it all cut into bite-sized pieces, she doesn't stop there. She grabs her fork and stabs a piece of meat and puts it into my mouth. And I start chewing it. Okay, now what are you thinking? Okay, I know, come on. You're thinking there's something wrong with that man. Right? Because he looks like he should be mature enough to feed himself, and yet she's feeding him. Okay? So so there's something wrong with that picture if I'm not feeding myself in the restaurant. Now just to take the... Illustration one step forward further. Imagine that before she puts the fork in my mouth with the food on it, she puts the bite of steak in her mouth and chews it up and tenderizes it a little bit and then spits it back out and then puts it in my mouth. Okay, now you're getting up and walking out of the restaurant, right? Because I've utterly disgusted you. Okay, now she's never done that and she never will. However, I think this picture for me is, 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 uh, is a lot like I imagine what happens in a lot of churches that are filled with spiritual infants. They're being spoon-fed because they're not maturing, they're not learning how to obey, and they're not learning how to really follow Jesus and grow up. And so I want to I share with you five stages of spiritual maturing. And I believe that this will help you to see how we grow and mature as disciples, and hopefully it will help you to assess your own spiritual maturity. Where are you in this journey? Okay? So the first stage that I want to talk about, the first stage in this journey of spiritual maturing is actually um, pre-salvation. Okay? Okay? we start out spiritually dead, right? I mean, if you've never heard the gospel and you're ignorant of God's desire to have a relationship with you, the Bible teaches that's where we all were. We were all spiritually dead and separated from God before we received God's grace. So if you have your Bible open still to Ephesians, I want to look over to Ephesians chapter 2, And I want you to look for where it says that we were dead, okay, in this passage. Just listen up. It says, And you were dead. Oh, there it is, right at the beginning. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived. Every one of us, okay, in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the reality is, as we look at this passage, this describes all of us, right? We were, and just, just process this with me. You were living in your transgressions and sins, check. Following the ways of the world, check. Following the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature. And following the desires and thoughts of your sinful nature. Apart from Jesus... Every single person is spiritually dead. And we reveal this condition in two ways. One is unbelief. The other is rebellion. Okay, So in that condition of being spiritually dead, people, what do they do? They shake their fist at God. right? They're angry at some hurt or injustice they feel they've experienced because of Him. Or perhaps they refuse to have anyone, including God, Tell them what to do. And some people may say, well, I'm not against God, but their lifestyle real, reveals that they're in rebellion. So here's the reality. Here's what I want to say to you. You should not be surprised when spiritually dead people act in unbelief and rebellion. And when they reject God's will. They're acting according to their sin nature spiritually dead people are deceived they're blind to the truth and they may not even realize it but they're in desperate need of a savior and the only savior that can help them is jesus christ becoming his disciple is their only hope now here's the reality our words and our actions reveal where we are spiritually right so we can look at how people act. We can listen to things that they say. And that will help us to know where someone is spiritually. So I want to I give you some examples of things that spiritually dead people might say. Okay? Here's what they say. And we're, I learned these from a, a church over in Idaho called Real Life Ministries. And they call this the phrase from the stage. So here are some typical phrases that spiritually dead people say. Right? Up on the screen. Okay. I don't believe there's a God, okay. or the Bible is just a bunch of myths, or God is just a crutch, or I'm not a Christian because religion is responsible for most of the wars in history, or there are many ways to get to God. Have you heard that? Maybe you can remember believing that yourself. Maybe you still do. Uh, There's no hell because God is a God of love. Or, I've been a good person, so I'm going to be okay. Or, there's no absolute right or wrong. Or, I'll just take my chances with the man upstairs. Okay, so have you heard phrases like these? Have you even maybe in your former life thought things like this, right? So when you hear... People say these kinds of things. Here's what you need to understand about where they are spiritually, okay? They need an explanation of the gospel. And they need to see the gospel lived out by a Christ follower. And they need answers to their questions about God or the Bible or Christianity. And and I think what they really need is they need an invitation by someone who's following Jesus to follow Jesus. And some are going to continue to reject, but some will follow, because that's how God works. And here's the reality. Everybody starts out at this point, spiritually dead. And it's only because of God, who is, quote, rich in mercy, that anyone is made alive in Christ. In John chapter 3, we read these profound words from Jesus. He says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So the second phase I want to talk about of spiritual maturing is this phase of being a spiritual infant. And becoming a Christian is a new beginning. So when a a person believes in Jesus, they pass out of spiritual death to spiritual life. You're born again as a spiritual infant. And that's really where the process of maturing begins. Now, there are some people who are spiritual infants who've been a Christian for a long time and they get stuck here, okay? Okay? They never grow up spiritually after they've been born again. Going to church is really all they know of the Christian life. They never learn how to walk as a believer, take steps in obedience and following Jesus. And so what happens is they stay spiritual babies. Now here's three things that characterize spiritual infants. They're characterized by ignorance, confusion, and dependence. So if you think about a newborn baby, right? There's so much that baby doesn't know and understand, right? There's so much that they have to learn. And they're extremely dependent on parents. But here's the reality. It's not healthy for a baby to stay that way, right? A baby needs to grow up. And spiritual infants are just the same. They don't know a whole lot of biblical truth. And they may mix a little of several religions and cultural beliefs together with Christianity because they don't know any better. I remember sitting in my kitchen uh, with a new believer and he was explaining how Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. And I was like, well, wait a minute, where do we find that in the Bible? And so we began to look through scripture and it isn't there. Because he was mixing up this other religion with Christianity. And and I don't get upset at him for that. I help teach him, help him to grow to understand that that's not what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. So there's confusion because also in, in learning how to follow Jesus, a new believer, a spiritual infant, is, is struggling with how to give up their old habits to develop new habits, what does it take to really follow Jesus? And there's dependence because they really can't mature on their own any more than a baby can feed themselves. So everybody starts as a spiritual baby, right? Everybody starts their Christian life that way. And it doesn't matter what your, your physical age is, And it doesn't matter if you've been to college or university, or it doesn't matter what your experience is in the workplace. We all enter the Christian life as an infant. And this is normal and natural. The reality is, though, we just can't stay there. We can't stay at that phase. So, remember I said earlier, our actions and our words reveal where we are spiritually. So when people are spiritual infants... This is the type of phrases that we hear them say, okay? So, uh, why do I need to go to church regularly? Or, I've been hurt by a lot of people, so it's just me and God. I don't need others, right? I don't need anybody else, just me and Jesus. Or, you know, I, I provide for my family. I, I, I have to work, I, 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 I don't have time for church, Or what should I do about my friends who don't believe? Or, I didn't know the Bible said that. Or, I know that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but is karma real? Or, does God let dead people like my grandma visit us and give us messages from him? See, the reality is physical babies and spiritual infants are really at the same phase. They need someone to care for them in order to help them grow, to help them thrive. Okay? First Peter 2, Peter writes this, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love those words, the pure milk of the word. Peter tells us that spiritual infants need God's word to grow. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, We proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased To impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become so dear to us. And I I love this passage here in Thessalonians because it gives us a model to help us understand what do spiritual infants need to help them grow. What they need is the personal attention of a disciple maker or a spiritual parent. And they need teaching and modeling of the truths of the Christian faith. And they need to be able to start developing new habits to replace their old habits. And I love the fact that God places new believers, spiritual infants, into a family that will help them to grow. See, what typically a spiritual infant needs is the investment of a spiritual parent who will come alongside and help answer questions and help live the Christian life in such a way that they can begin to trust and obey Jesus just like that. And you may be here and you have believed in Jesus many years ago and you're still a spiritual infant. And the reality is maturing isn't measured by the calendar, right? All of us start out spiritual infants, but we don't want to stay there. Now, if you're a new believer, or if you are stuck at that stage, I want to encourage you to take intentional steps to start growing. And a good first step would be to meet with a maturing believer who can help you grow or to join a a weekly fellowship group, right? That that you can be with other believers who can help you mature. Now here's the the reality. Spiritual infants typically see Christianity. it's, It's kind of like this me and God, okay? And spiritual children, as you mature, that's the next phase, spiritual children have a connection to a spiritual family, and they're young in the faith, but they're beginning to grow in relationship. And here's the reality, somebody can be a Christian for a really long time and still be a spiritual child. You can get stuck also at this phase. And I think it's often a result of measuring spiritual maturity by the wrong thing. See we tend to want to measure spiritual maturity by how much we know of the Bible And whether or not we show up to church, those are typically the things that make people think, "Oh, I'm a good Christian because I know a lot of what the Bible says, and I go to church on Sunday, and maybe I even give or I serve once once a month when it's my turn." And I think the reality is is that there are some spiritually immature people that have been in the church for decades. And at the same time, there are some spiritually mature disciples who've been Christians for only a few years. You say, Dave, what, well, what's the, what's the difference? Well, I think the difference is that there's a commitment to learn and to grow spiritually. Now, we all begin, like I said, ignorant, confused, and Dependent as we begin to mature, we go through this phase of being a spiritual child where we can be very idealistic, okay? And we can be also self-centered and either overconfident or underconfident, right? I mean, any of you ever struggle with selfishness from time to time? I, okay, I'll, I'll admit, I do, you know. I I, I, I have to regularly acknowledge that I... I can be really selfish. But the reality is when someone's a spiritual child, they're not just selfish, but they become self-centered and they look at the world and and their spiritual life, everything is about what they need. And that's why you need a spiritual family that can help you to get your eyes off yourself. And because Spiritual children are inexperienced in following Jesus. They tend to see things very black and white. For instance, you might think Christians can only listen to certain kinds of music, right? Or only, only read the Bible or watch Christian movies or whatever it might be. Okay? and we can, What happens oftentimes is that this idealism can get applied to Not just how we see ourselves, but then how everybody else is supposed to live. We call that legalism, when you begin to measure everybody else's spirituality by non-biblical standards, based on what people do or don't do. And again, I, I mentioned earlier, our words and our actions reveal where we are spiritually. So let me tell you some phrases that you might hear from spiritual children. Okay? Don't split my group into two groups. I'm comfortable right now. Right? Or who are all these new people coming to our church? The church is getting too big. Or I love my small group. Don't add anybody to it. Or how about this one? My small group isn't taking care of my needs. Like they should. I I left that part out. Because... Spiritual children tend to shoot on everybody, you know. Or I don't have anyone who's spending enough time with me. No one's discipling me. Or I didn't like the music today. If only it sounded like, or only we sang this. yeah. Or I didn't like that guest preacher, you know. Let's not have him ever come back. No. Or I'm not being fed in my church, so I'm going to go to a church that meets my needs better. Or the pastor looked right at me, he didn't even say hello. I think it's really easy to get our eyes on ourselves and what I think I need, and it's all about me. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. If you're at this stage, it's okay, but you don't want to stay there. You want to keep growing spiritually. So what do you need? You need a relational commitment to a church family. You need training on how to feed yourself spiritually. You need teaching about who you are in Christ. You need modeling on what it looks like to have a deeper relationship with Christ. And you need experience in in how to have relationship with other believers, and teaching about appropriate expectations that you, you know, concerning other Christians. So in this third phase, spiritual children tend to be typically self-centered, idealistic, and prone to struggle with expectations. And if you're at this phase, you need the urging, you need the comforting, you need the encouraging that comes from community with other Christians. And the reality is, you know, as we look around us, everything grows. One of the, I I grew up in Southern California, I moved up here to the Northwest, and I love it here, because number one, God reigns. Amen? God reigns in the Northwest. The second thing I love about here is everything is so green and vibrant and alive, right? It's it's so beautiful. I fly down to California, and it's brown, and it's desert, and ugh, you know. And I, I believe God designed things to live. Trees, they start out as seeds, right, that grow and mature, and we get the benefit of it all around us. Humans are the same way, even Jesus himself, right, he experienced physical human growth. He matured from infancy to adulthood. Luke 2 tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. So God designed us to grow spiritually as well. And so these phases of spiritual growth help us to understand that it's a process you don't instantly go from from being a spiritual infant to being spiritually mature. That would be weird, okay? That would be abnormal. There's a process that happens after you believe in Jesus and you're baptized and you begin to grow and mature. So don't get discouraged in this process because God's the one who's working in us. God's the one who's conforming us to the image of His Son. We are all in process. We have good days. We have bad days. You can ask my wife and kids about my experience with that, right? I haven't arrived yet. But the fact that is that God uses me even in spite of my flaws, which is both amazing and humbling at the same time. Well, I want to flip over to 1 John and just read a few verses there, real quick. 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 13. This is what it says. Sorry, chapter two. If I'm going to be in the right place. Okay. Chapter two, he says I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, I just want you to know this passage isn't teaching about, you know, children's ministry and youth ministry and adult ministry. What what this passage is writing about is this process of spiritual maturing. And this fourth stage is this, this spiritual young adult stage. And what happens at this stage is we begin to develop a God and others centered outlook. So at this stage, what happens is we begin to see that God has shaped us for a purpose. And we begin to see our priorities begin to change and we look for ways that we can use our gifts and abilities to serve others. We begin to make sacrifices because we're not a part of a church for what we're gonna get in the personal benefit to ourselves, but we're a part of a church because we belong to a family. And the more secure we are in Christ, the more willing we are to be action-oriented and zealous and meeting the needs of those around us. Spiritual infants and and spiritual children might serve in the church as long as they're getting something personal out of it. In contrast, spiritual young adults, they begin to serve for the glory of God and for the good of others because their eyes are on themselves. And when you start to listen to what spiritual young adults are saying, here are some phrases from this stage. They say, say things like, I love my group, but there are others who need a group like this. Or, I think I could lead a group with a little help. I have three friends that I've been witnessing to, and this group would be too big for them. Or, look how many are at church today. It's awesome. I had to walk two blocks from the closest parking place. Randy and Rachel missed our group, and I called to see if they're okay, and their kids have the flu, so maybe we can make meals for them. I'll start. In my devotions, I came across something I have a question about. Or I need, noticed we don't have a team serving the homeless. Do you think I could be involved in starting something? Do you hear the shift in these types of phrases from, from the phrases we looked at before? Right? This is evidence of the maturing process, and if you are a spiritual young adult, then here's what you may need to continue growing. You might need a place to learn how to serve, or a a spiritual parent who's going to debrief with you about your ministry experience. You might need ongoing relationships that'll encourage you and hold you accountable and help for identifying your spiritual gifts, or maybe it's training in a specific skill or character. But there's this change that happens where I go from being self-focused to being focused on God and others. And you come to that point where you say, my spiritual life isn't all about me. Well, this brings us to almost the end, and I want to focus in on this fifth stage of being a spiritual parent. This is the last stage of a disciple's growth. And I'm intentionally using the word here parent rather than saying spiritual adult because a parent is someone who has a child. And spiritual parents are those who are reproducing spiritual babies. They're intentionally making disciples who in turn will make other disciples. So while you don't have to be fully spiritually mature to begin that process of making disciples, you can tell spiritual parents because they are the ones who are intentionally developing other Christ followers. In fact, if you aren't involved in making disciples, you have not yet matured to that point of being a spiritual parent. Okay, let me, let me just say that again. If you aren't involved in making disciples... You haven't yet matured to become a spiritual parent. And I want to just say that I don't want you to think that, you know, one of these phases or any of these phases are of greater worth. Parents are not more valuable than infants. It takes all kinds of disciples to make up a spiritual family. But we need to be growing and maturing in Christ. So how, how do I know if I'm a spiritual parent? Well, you assess your intentionality in cooperating with God to reproduce disciples. Spiritual parents are intentional about building relationships so that discipleship can happen. Now remember when Jesus said to his disciples, right? he says, go therefore and make disciples. Right? We're familiar with that passage, right? Baptize them, teach them to obey all that he commanded. And I believe that when Jesus told that to his disciples, he didn't mean go find people who are already following me and help them to become better followers. I believe that in Jesus' mind, discipleship starts with non-disciples. So if you're going to be a spiritual parent, you're not just looking for people who already believe and help them to know Jesus better, but you're actually engaging with those who are far from God, who are lost without God, who are, we talked about earlier, spiritually dead. And you're beginning that process of building relationship and sharing the gospel and living the gospel before them and inviting them to follow Jesus and then helping them to grow and mature through these phases so that they can go and do the same. The other thing about spiritual parents that's really important is they feed themselves spiritually. They're not dependent on those pre-digested meals, right? But they get in the Word of God to discover God on their own. And they don't just listen to the Word, they do what it says. Well, let's look at a few of the phrases that You might hear from a spiritual parent, okay? This guy at work asked me to explain the Bible to him. Pray for me. Or we get to baptize someone from our small group tonight. I can't wait to meet up and help her get connected to our church family. Or our small group is going on a mission trip and I've given each person a different responsibility. Or I realize discipleship happens at home too. Will you hold me accountable to discipling my wife and kids? Or I have a person in my small group who's passionate about children. Can you help him get connected with our children's team? See, spiritual parents are focused on helping others grow as a disciple and then helping them to disciple others so that they can disciple others. Spiritual parenting is this final phase of spiritual maturing. And it's characterized really by this ability to reproduce, to make disciples, to be intentional about helping others to follow Jesus. There's really three skills I think every Christian needs. Okay? Skill number one, really basic, is to follow Jesus, right? You need to do that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need to follow him every way you can. And I would suggest to you probably about 80% of you here tonight are committed to that, to following Jesus. The second skill that we need is to help someone else to follow Jesus. And the sad thing is, I think in most churches, and I, I can't do a survey here real quick, but I'd say only about 20% of followers of Jesus are actually committed to helping others follow Jesus. And the third skill is to help someone else to help someone else to follow Jesus. I think the sad reality is is that only about two percent of Christians actually are committed to this process of spiritual parenting, of helping others to follow Jesus so that they'll help others to follow Jesus. Well I want you just to bow your heads as we wrap up, and I want to invite you just to kind of evaluate your own heart of where you're at, the area that may be the stage that best describes you, and maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're still unbelieving and rebellious and, and you're spiritually dead, or maybe you're spiritually ignorant and confused and dependent, you're a, a spiritual infant, or maybe you're more at that phase of being self-centered or idealistic or prideful, maybe, maybe a spiritual child is where you're at. Maybe you've taken that next step to be a young adult. You're action-oriented and God-centered and other-centered. Or maybe you're a spiritual parent. You're intentional in spiritual reproduction and self-feeding. But here's what I want to encourage you. Wherever you are in your spiritual maturing, God has placed you in this church family to help you grow and mature to the next level. And you need others in your life to help you become all that God wants you to be. So I want to encourage you to take the next step to walk by faith and believe that God wants to use you to see more and more and more disciples. So Lord, we thank you. For this time, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I thank you for the reality that you don't want us to stay spiritual infants, God. You want us to grow up in Christ, you want us to to attain to that full measure. Lord, I just pray that you would really work within this body within this church family, that people would take steps to not stay where they're at, but to really grow and experience all that God has for them. We thank you for this, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.